We're in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, and when and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pharmius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of our Lord. Next week, we will return to uh, Romans chapter 7. We're going to launch into that chapter as we come back to Romans. But today, I felt like it would be good as we take some time to kind of settle back in after the holidays to uh, just take a moment to talk a bit about um, why we do what we do here at Richland. And I want to take it out of the text. I don't want to just put it out there in thin air, but grounded in a text, and the best text to do that, I think, is the text that has just been read. And so we'll come back to that to give you the biblical foundations of what we're going to talk about. If you are, have been here a while, maybe 15 or 20 years, some of you may have been in a Sunday school class with me back then where I just took a whole quarter, or maybe half a year, I'm not sure how long it was, to just talk about the kinds of things that have influenced my ministry over those at that point, 20 years or so that I had been here. And I used little boxes. Some of you maybe remember those little boxes. And each box represented something that God had helped me with to see and understand and how I I took that principle grounded in Scripture and used it to, to put together ministry here at Richland or the way that I would lead in ministry here at Richland. The very first box, if you remember, was a box that said airplanes and hospitals. That was the box, airplanes and hospitals. And at that very time, when I started that particular series, there had been a, uh, a plane crash. Actually, it had happened on that particular weekend, and they yet had not found the victims. They knew the plane had gone down, but they weren't at that point able to locate the victims. And one of those victims was a young lady who graduated with my oldest son um, in high school. And so it was, it was pertinent to us, and we felt that keenly in our lives. But the, the thing that I meant by airplanes and hospitals was this, that everything that um, God has used to influence me has, has been grounded in the sovereignty of God, that concept of God being sovereign, that God is over all things and there's nothing um, sovereign above him. If there is, then he's not sovereign. That is sovereign. You know, that's what sovereignty means. If if God is sovereign, he is sovereign. He is the ruler. He is at the top. And there's none above him. In fact, to the degree where R.C. Sproul a number of years ago shared 
a quote and said that there's not one molecule in all of the universe out of his control because if there were, it could have stopped. Mary and Joseph, they crossed the desert to go to Bethlehem. And all of the plan for which we come to celebrate here at these tables would have been thwarted. But it didn't because God is sovereign. And I believe that keenly. There's mystery in all of that. I understand that. But God is sovereign. And so the point that I made that particular day and with that particular box is that the time to talk about the sovereignty of God is not to that family who's wondering where their daughter is right now. Those truths are to be truths that are built into people so that when those times come, when, as Jason said, in 2021, some wheels fall off for you, you have a place to land. You have a place to land in the fact that God is in control, despite what the circumstance is. But you don't go to a hospital room or, or to a family who doesn't know where their daughter is at that point and, and presumes that she has perished and talk about the sovereignty of God. You love them, you care about them, you put your arms around them and extend grace to them. There's a time to talk about truth and that is so that it is there when people fall. It is there to catch them. And so that's the point. And, and so the reason I share that illustration is that's what I want to do again today is just talk about particularly the things that uh, over the years I've, I feel are incredibly important that we hold on to, particularly this time of resolutions. You probably, you maybe made some resolutions for the new year, which are not bad things to make. But many times those resolutions are something new and shiny. We, we pick up this new and shiny thing that we're going to do. Um, and and uh, the text this morning, if a resolution were to be made, it would be the resolution out of this text is don't go away from the things that have gotten you where they are. And where you are. In other words, if there's any change that happens, it's going back to something, not to creating something new. And that's what we find in the text this morning as we look at this text in Acts chapter 6. Um, the temptation is to jump to the new and shiny, and sometimes it's not the new and shiny. Doesn't mean there can't be some new things, but oftentimes it's going back. It's going back uh, and, and remembering what got you where you are. And that's some of what we're going to talk about this morning. So the context of this passage is a conflict that arose in the church, a conflict that arose between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. And basically what the Hellenists and the Hebrews were were, were Jews who'd become Christians but spoke different languages. They, one had Greek as a language, one had Hebrew as a language, so there was an ethnic problem. And uh, the Hellenists happened to be the minority at this point in that, uh, in numbers, and they felt like their widows were being neglected. And so a dispute arose of what we were going to do about that. And so we find a situation in which there is tension. There's ethnic and cultural tension. Um, and and the, the apostles are, are attempting to find ways to meet that particular need, um, uh, ways to to come at that threat that has arisen in the church to cause division and is causing division to some degree, and they want to stop that and alleviate that and, to the best that they can, deal with that problem. And so really two threats are there in, in this text. There are two threats rise up in this text. One is the failure to meet the need of the Hellenists. It's a genuine need. 
they're being neglected, and the, the widows need to not be neglected. And so the need is to find a way that they will not be neglected. That's, that's one particular threat that is facing the early church. The second threat is the danger of forsaking important things, key things, crucial things, to go meet that need. And that's where the, the uh, apostles talk about neglecting um, the word and prayer to go meet this need. So that's, that's the two things. Those are the two threats. And both of them are incredibly significant threats to the early church. And so how did the church respond to that? How did they respond to what has risen up and, and threats come, don't they? <laughs> All of us need to realize how easily they come in 2020 and COVID-19. We, none of us imagined those things that would rise up and would have to be addressed and dealt with um, in our world and in the church. Uh, they come. They come and go. They will ebb and flow. And as Jason aptly said and the worship team said, 2020 flipping to 2021 it may, not be, may not be the same threats, but there will be others. And we need to find ways to deal with them without going away from some crucial things, and that's what we'll see in the text. So threat number one, let's, let's talk about the two different threats. The threat number one is that, um, that Christians would come into disrepute with those around them, those that they were attempting to, to share this gospel with, that somehow people would be unwilling, and this is the way I would put it, would be unwilling to hear the word one of the things that we'll talk about is the second threat of neglecting the word in prayer. But, but at this level, I think the, the, the first threat is that people would be unwilling to listen, unwilling to hear that particular word. Um, it's it's a, the danger of it not being heard. In Romans chapter 10, this is the, the, what the apostle says. We'll come to that as we walk through Romans, that faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's important that they hear. It's important that, that, that they, you get an audience so that they can hear the word in, in one level, one level hear the word, at least be able to sit there to hear the word, whether it be sitting in a worship gathering or individually as you're having a conversation with someone about the gospel. Um, we, we want to deal with factors that would hinder them from listening Maybe a better word is listening. Listening to the word because the word is the means by which the scripture says faith comes. And so building a bridge that would cause people to listen. And that's the threat here. That, that if they don't deal with it, if they don't take leadership in it and, and address the problem, that people won't listen as they ought to listen. They will just write them off. They will write off the Christians as uncaring and unloving and they can't take care of their own and all those kinds of things that can happen. And so one of the things that I think we need to be careful about in the church is to understand that um, the scripture says the gospel is an offense and so there's a sense in which people may listen and may be offended and so they really don't go from listening to hearing it and coming to faith um, but in the Bible says the gospel can be an, is an offense to the unbeliever. It is, but the 
the key is in this particular issue is not being the offense ourselves. In other words, what they're addressing with, they understand the gospel is, causes people to choose and make decisions and decide things. Um, but we want to be careful that we don't become the offense. And that's what's, again, happening, that we don't become the offense ourselves, that we do something that causes that offense, that causes people not to listen. And so we have, a, I think, a responsibility as, as pastors, as elders, as church body, that we strategize, that we think of ways to better help people to listen to the message. An example of that would be um, we have vans out here. Unfortunately, this year have not been able to run them because of COVID-19. But the purpose of those vans is to, to bring young people. Uh, a number of years ago, early on in our ministry, we decided we want to do children's and youth ministries, but because of our location, in order to do those, we would have to bring some to us. We'd have to have the willing to, to bring them to us. And so we strategically made a decision to do that. Why bring them to us? What are those vans a purpose? So that we can get people in a position to listen. To listen. There are means by which we get a listening audience. And so I think we strategize. I think there's a place in the church for change and better ways to get people to listen. If we're being culturally insensitive, if our culture has shifted in ways that are not um, black and white issues, that, that we recognize that. And if, if we are being an offense ourselves because of some cultural misunderstanding, that we do the best we can to not let that get in the way of people listening. And so there's places for that, places as society shifts, we make decisions of how can we better do things to put people in a position that they can listen, that they can listen. And again, that we don't become the offense to them not listening because of something we do. Um, We need to love people, I think. We need to be winsome in our relationships with people. We need to have a welcoming atmosphere uh, in our body and as a body of believers. And so all of those things are the goal of which to get people to listen, to get people to listen. But even then, even in that regard, we need to be careful. We need to be careful about what we do to get them to listen. That's part of, I think, what you wrestle with as leadership and what you wrestle with as elders. Um, In our day-to-day, one of the issues that has been in the church world for probably as long as I've been pastoring is, is uh, issues of how you do worship. Those, those styles have changed uh, to some degree, not bad or, or good in, in many cases. But the danger is that, that as those particular ways change and the instruments change and some of that, um, you need to be careful about how you adapt to that. One of the things that we have tried to use as an overarching um, statement, which doesn't come from us, it comes, we, we took it from another, but that our worship, what this worship team does, and I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to them. It's nice. They've, they've all kind of been in and out over these weeks and are all back together today, and uh, I'm grateful for that, but that what they would do would have undistracting excellence. That's, that's the way we say we want it to be God-centered, and we want it to have undistracting excellence. In other words, how they do it and the way they do it does not again 
cause people not to listen, that they're so consumed with the stylistic way that it's happening that they're not listening. And, and then we try to be careful of, of what we sing, that the, the things that are sung are the message, that they're, they're saturated in the word, they're saturated in truth. Uh, we don't, it's not just repeating a line so we somehow can convince ourselves of a line, but there's truth within what's being sung so that as we worship in spirit, we also worship in truth. Spirit and truth come together. And we want undistracting excellence in that. That's the goal. That's, that's one of the things that we attempt to do to help people to listen. And we, we change. It has changed. It's, it's changed in many ways since I began 40-some years ago. It changed as we moved into the new sanctuary. Change happens. But again, the goal of the change is to help people to better listen and, and, and to be careful what they're listening to. That's part of it. In all of that, a second thing that I think we have to understand and we wrestle with as we as we deal with leadership issues and how to get people to listen is um, it, it's it's a statement again that's not original with me, but it's stuck with me that it's hard to move from silliness to substance. It's hard to move from silliness to substance, and we have to be careful as we make change that it it doesn't trivialize the message. That, that what we do doesn't actually take away from the message we're trying to convey because we've made it trite and silly and watered it down so much that the sense of who God is is diminished. They may listen, but they don't, they don't the message that we're giving them has dissonance in it. It isn't really telling them who God is. And so it's really a message we don't, don't really want them to listen to. You have to be careful. You can't, and sometimes we think we can do this and then we'll move to substance, but it's, it is really hard to do that. It's, it's hard to move from trivializing something and then all of a sudden make it weighty. Another word that I think we try to use a lot in, in worship and other ways is that there's a weightiness, a weightiness about our gatherings together, a weightiness about how we do things, that we see our God as weighty, not trivial. I think, um, I think maybe a way to, to say that is that we want, we want both the transcendent and the eminence to come together. God is transcendent. We don't want to diminish that. He's eminent in the sense that he came, came flesh and dwelt among us. But if you get those two things out of balance, you don't really convey who God really is. And so I think there always ought to be a seriousness about who God is. Not that we can't have Levity at times, natural levity, natural laughter, those kinds of things. That's, that's not what it's saying, that. But one of the things, why, why in the world, just, just think about it a minute, why in the world, if you visited the Grand Canyon, do you stand at the edge of that Grand Canyon and you look out and you, there's just a sense of, of, of awe about it. We're stirred with awe as you look into that canyon. You go out on a, a night when it's clear and you're away from all of the lights. We, we lived 30-some years here in this kind of environment. You go out in the night, you look up into the sky. There's a sense of weightiness about looking up into that sky. There's a sense of weightiness about 
are we the only ones here? Why, why all of this wasted space if we're the only life there is? Well, part of the reason for that is, is we think it's about us, don't we? That's a statement about us. We think, we think all that's about us. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about God. And when you change that perspective, when you talk about the weightiness of God and you emphasize the weightiness of God, it changes it. There's something about we want to be stirred. We, we want to be people who are stirred. And so why would we trivialize the one in the universe that truly can fulfill that desire within us? Do you see what I mean by that? Again, not, not getting stuffy and staunch in it, but just just being careful that we don't get in some mode of moving from silliness to substance and think it really can happen. So leadership is about all of that. Leadership is about ways to get people to listen. That's threat number one. And that's really what was happening here. There was a danger that people would not listen if they didn't deal with this problem and deal with it correctly. And so the, the, the call to deal with it was right. The action to deal with it was right. They took action to deal with it in a proper way. And we ought to do that. We ought to wrestle to do that. So people will listen. That we can have an audience with people. That, that one of the ways we say it, that, that we will continue to have favor with our community as much as we can. We want to build favor with our community. We, we, have, we have had that. It's one of the reasons we can run five vehicles around and pick kids up and drive them hundreds of miles on Wednesday nights because God has given us favor. We don't do anything to take away that favor because that favor allows us to bring people to listen and other ministries of the church. So that's important. But the second threat, this is, this is the second threat. The second threat that they faced here, which is as dangerous as the first, was to forsake the ministry of the word itself to forsake the ministry of the word, to step away from the ministry of the word and prayer and go and, and, and meet the need. The apostles were wise enough to know that though that would look like the loving and caring thing to do, and it, 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 it isn't that it wouldn't be. They would be forsaking something that was way more important for them to hold to and not to go away from and to get others to to do some of that. Forsaking the ministry. The text three times. Look at it here. This is, this is why the text is important. First of all, when in verse 2 it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Because serving tables was beyond them or below them? No. It was because... The word was important, the significance of the word. Going down in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And then in verse 7, it says, and the word of God continued to increase because they didn't forsake it. They, they met the need, they dealt with the need, but they didn't at the same time give up an incredible, important, in fact, vital part of their ministry. We go back to the scripture, faith cometh by Hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. The thing that creates faith in people is the word, and the danger always. There are multitudes of things that come in, in the life of the church and the church body. The danger is that you go away from the important things 
to go to other important things, but you, you've got to be able to do both. You've got to deal with both. You've got to deal with making sure people are listening, but also not forsaking the word. Danger of being distracted from it. Now, this is, this is where I want to make the application. Um, uh, this, is, this is what can happen if, if we're not careful, if we, if we don't deal with the second particular need correctly and we're tempted to move away from it. It doesn't happen overnight. It, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens subtly. A shift from the word moves subtly. And in a church body, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it will gradually happen. And what it, what it really, in essence, is, is you go away from believing that is the real thing that creates faith. And you begin to think if you tinker with the machinery correctly, if you tinker with the listening, you can actually make people not just listen, but actually make them hear. You see, that's the difference. To go from listening to hearing. And the truth of the matter is only God can do that. We have an obligation to live so that people will listen. And we have an obligation when they listen to give them the proper thing, which is the word, the truth. But then God has to do it from there. Only God can help them to really hear. Only he can open their ears or open their eyes to see the glory of God in what? The face of Christ. Only he can do that. And the scripture says, with God nothing is impossible. Remember that text we had a while back? It's not talking about Minnesota winning the Super Bowl. It's talking about somebody passing from spiritual death to spiritual life. Only God can do that. And he does it by means, he does it by the means of the word. And so if we go away from the means, you can see where that leaves us. Let me give you an illustration. And then I want to read something somebody else has written and then we're going to come to the tables. This has been a couple years ago, probably longer than that. Time goes by faster than I think. But Pastor Jason was reading something online in a pastor's column. Uh, I think that's where it originated. And uh, there was a group of pastors who were talking about worship. And this young pastor who'd just begun the ministry was on this online chat room or whatever it was. And uh, he just asked the question. I, I'm, I'm convinced he asked the question innocently. He, he, he was sincere asking the question. And this was his question. How can you worship How can you worship in a church with windows? How can you worship in a church with windows? If you've been around the church life very long, you know that many of the contemporary buildings that are built are built without windows so that they can do lighting, they can can do things um, without the distraction, or if their windows are in it, they, they make ways to darken it. It's not wrong. Not wrong to have a dark sanctuary. It's not wrong to use lighting. We used it in the children's program. It's not wrong to have those things. What's wrong is, and I think this is what happens and what happened to this young pastor, is what was wrong is, is thinking that, that you can somehow create an atmosphere that will do a work that only God can do. That somehow, if you, if you, if you tinker with the machinery enough, 
and you get the mood just right, and you get people feeling a certain way, and you are a person who has an influential ability to sway people with what you say, they'll come to faith. They'll come to faith. And he has grown up in an era when that's, that's happened. Darken, darken everything and create a mood, create an atmosphere, and responses will happen. You see what subtly happens in that? It's not wrong to have those kinds of things. We can, we can in fact, dim our lights on, on Christmas Eve and some of those games. You were here, and it, it is a special kind of atmosphere to be in, to be able to have it dark outside, have the lights down a bit, have the candles, all of that. That's good. Not wrong, not bad. Unless you think that's the way that a person passes from death to life if you just get the atmosphere right. You see, we subtly go from doing things in the power of God's spirit to the arm of the flesh. We begin to think subtly somehow we can do it, we can accomplish it, and that is incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous, and it's something we need to always keep in our minds. We always want what happens to be the fruit of God's work, the fruit of God's spirit doing what he's doing. And only God, only God can cause a person to pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. And we don't want to rest subtly in other things. This is a bit of a potpourri of of items. That's why in that Sunday school class I could take lots of weeks to talk about it and use different boxes. But let me give you another box here now that has been incredibly influential and I hope I can tie it to what I've just said. This article comes from Desiring God. And the title of this article is, O Lord, Give Us Children of Promise, Not Children of Flesh. I came across this a number of years ago, and it, it has stuck with me. It has been a powerful, it, it, I, I didn't pull out my boxes, but I'm assuming it was one of the boxes that I had as I shared a number of years ago. But let me just read this article. It's not very long, and then we're going to pray and come to the Lord's table. It starts out this way. It is not the children of the flesh that are children of God, but the children of promise are reckoned as seed. This, in fact, was Paul's comment on the story of the birth of Ishmael and Isaac in the book of Genesis. The whole story fills the writer, John Piper, with longing not to build a successful church with multiplied Ishmaels. Here's what he means, he says. God promised Abraham, your own son will be your heir. As the stars, so shall your descendants be. But Sarah, his wife, was barren. She bore him no children. Picture Abraham as a pastor. Piper writes, the Lord says, I will bless you and prosper your ministry, but after a time there is little fruit. The church is barren and bears no children. What does Abraham do? He begins to despair of the supernatural invention. He's getting old. His wife remains barren, so he decides to bring about God's promised son without supernatural intervention. He has relations with Hagar, his wife's handmaid, However, the result is not a child of promise, but a child of flesh, Ishmael. God stuns Abraham by saying, I will give you a son by Sarah. So Abraham cries out to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. 
Abraham wants the work of his own flesh to be the fulfillment of God's promise. But God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. But Sarah is now 90 years old. She has been barren all her life, and now she no longer menstruates. God is a, or Abraham is 100. God has put off the promise so long that it is now humanly impossible. The only hope for a child of promise is supernatural in intervention. That is what it means to be a child of promise, to be born not by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of man, but of God. The only children that count for children of God in this world are supernaturally begotten children of promise. That's the point of the Old Testament text. In Galatians 4.28, Paul says, You Christians, like Isaac, are children of the promise. You are born according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And then he says this. He says, Think of Abraham as a pastor again, or as an elder, or as a church member. His church is not growing the way he believes God promised. He's weary of waiting for supernatural intervention. What does he do? He turns to the Hagar of mere human devices and decides he can attract people without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what should just cause a chill to go down our spines. And he can. And he can. However, it will not be a church of Isaacs, but Ishmael's. Children of the flesh, not children of God. God save us from this kind of success. How will he? By moving to build our ministry around the word and prayer. Not, not dealing with a problem of listening but not dealing with that problem in the wrong way that causes a second problem that we would go away from the word and prayer. That's incredibly important and needs to be heralded often, I think, because we forget and we so easily can subtly think that we can do it, that we can do it if we just get the machinery right, if we just get the lighting right, if we just get whatever right. But the truth of the matter is, that is a dead-end street. The only way in which a soul passes from death to life is by God's Spirit and the Word together. I hope God will help us that we'll hold to that and not get away from it as we go forward. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful that it so practically even deals with issues as we face day to day in the life of the church. Father, help us. Help us to be people of the word and prayer. Help us, Father, to to use your means to build your church. Oh, certainly, Father, we have great obligation to do the things that cause people to listen and we can't abdicate those responsibilities as the apostles didn't, they dealt with it. But Lord, help us not to think that our own ingenuity, our own flesh can accomplish what only you can do. And commit us anew and afresh even as we come to this table this morning, Lord. 
to commit ourselves anew and afresh to your word and to prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to distribute the elements to you this morning as we come to the table. Excuse me, I shouldn't say that. We're we're not going to distribute the elements as we come to the table. We're actually going to ask you to come and uh, take the elements because of COVID. We've begun to do it this way. If you're visiting with us again this morning, the invitation is in the bulletin. You'll find a sheet there, and we have open communion. We would welcome you to come and join us. And in fact, we're going to have to ask all of you, if visitor or, or regular within our body, to help us here. Because of the fact we don't want people passing in front of one another, we, we actually need everybody to move when, when we direct you to move. And if you're not uh, comfortable in taking the elements, we certainly understand that this morning. But we do need people just to kind of circulate together and then back into the pews. Um, I've been in places, I say this often to people because I'm sensitive to it, when we visit other churches, I'm a pastor, I've been a pastor for 40 some years, there's times when I don't take communion, I just don't understand the significance for them and I want to do it in good conscience and I want to understand how they see it and so I, I don't at times take communion when I'm visiting in other places just because of of that reason. So we certainly understand that if you're visiting with us and are not comfortable because you're new among us. Um, but we do would ask that you would, would move and just move by the elements and back into your places this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning that we can come and we're grateful, Lord, that, um, that because of what Christ has accomplished, we have a seat at this table if our hope is in that. If you've opened our eyes by the power of your spirit to place our faith in Christ, we are grateful, Lord. And so, so we come this morning, we come to receive the bread and the juice together, Lord, in remembrance of your body and blood that was shed for us. Help us to do it, Father, this morning with grateful hearts and be strengthened by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Worship team is going to lead us and the ushers will direct you this morning. I once was lost in darkest night It thought I knew the way The sin and promise, joy and life Had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own A rebel to your if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to. I beheld God's love displayed You suffered in my place You bore the wrath reserved for me Now all I know 
His grace Hallelujah All I have is Christ Hallelujah Jesus is my life Now Lord I would be yours alone And live so Never come from me, oh Father. Use my ransom life in any way you choose, and let my song forever be. I only boast is you. Hallelujah. Listen to what Paul tells us. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, The cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we might be strengthened as we've come to your table today, strengthened to go out into a world that needs desperately to hear the message of hope in Christ. Help us to find new ways to cause listening ears and to create listening ears. And then as they are open to listen, Father, I pray that we will not go away from your means of life coming, and that is your word. That we'll pray and give the word, Father. Help us as a church body to fulfill that in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in God's peace. It's a good day.